Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. Everything that move. I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. Touchdown! You're listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right, another day, and we are back for another day of training camp, a 10-10-10 practice as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 194. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where the gentlemen on either side, I mean, Chris McPherson and Ben Fennell and I, are going to join up and talk about what we've seen, not just from this practice, but also Sunday night's practice at Lincoln Financial Field. Let's get things started now in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. All right, guys. Well, a lot to get to now. We had a 10-10-10 here today. And C-Mac, I'm going to come to you really quickly. Uh, for those that may have missed last week's 10-10-10, just give us a quick synopsis. What is a 10-10-10 synopsis, practice? 10 plays for the offense, the defense giving certain looks, 10 plays for the defense, where the offense is given certain looks, there'll be certain things that coaches might want to see formationally and ter- different types of plays they might want to run, and then 10 minutes of special teams, and they kind of cycle through that for about 90 minutes. Yeah, so it was a, it was a quick one. It was it was actually even a little bit shorter. It was just over an hour yeah. uh, out there on the field today. It was a late night last night. We'll get into what we saw from Lincoln Financial Field on Sunday night. A fun atmosphere, you know, 40,000 plus in attendance. Amazing. Uh, so it, we'll, we'll get on that uh, a little bit later in the show. But Ben, uh, let's talk about some of the things we saw here this afternoon a 12 o'clock start time for the Eagles on Monday afternoon uh, some guys getting the day off after a later night last night so what, what are some of the things we saw from a personnel standpoint here on Monday yeah offensive line once again kind of comings and goings with some veterans and uh, no Jason Peters today no Jason Kelsey yep. so that was rookie Andre Dillard at left tackle Wisniewski in at left guard Isaac Sayomalo moving over to center yep so some shuffling around cross training certain guys uh, so it's just good to see different guys working together. Good to see Andre Dillard as a left tackle with the first team and protecting Carson Wentz's blind side, which yep. is kind of the future of the Philadelphia Eagles. So always nice just to see uh, the young guys get opportunities with the vets around them. And then defensively, C-Mac, we saw Kamu uh, Grugier Hill obviously out with this injury for the you know for a few weeks. It seems like we'll see how long uh, it does take, but. Uh, when you've got the the interesting names that the Eagles do have at the linebacking core, we've seen some shuffling. So Nate Gary was the next man up, so he stepped in uh, and has been a three-down player for the Eagles at that position over the last two practices. On Sunday night, that next man up was Zach Brown. Here on Monday, it was LJ Fort with Zach Brown stepping in in base as the third linebacker. You know, Kamu was on crutches watching practice from the sideline Sunday night, and as he was coming off the field, the reporters were all chasing him down, and he said... We got a lot of dogs in that room. And the benefit, I won't say benefit, the silver lining for the injury happening now. First and foremost, it's great that Gruja Hill said, yeah. you know, it's not season ending. I was relieved by that. I'm a quick healer. I'll be back sooner than later. This gives Jim Schwartz a chance to mix and match and find what personnel groupings will work. And Nate Gary said after practice where he's like, every year I've been here, a linebacker has gone down. Mm. You know, Jordan Hicks has gone down, and Nigel Bradham had to fill in as the mic. It's every year someone has to step up into a different role, so why not figure out who can mix and match mm. together now over the next couple of weeks because you still have the four preseason games to get that figured out. With that being said, 
it was disappointing to see the injury because you could argue Kamagruja Hill was probably having the best camp of any player mm. on the Philadelphia Eagles. Certainly, you know, top five, one, one of the top players really having an outstanding summer here, taking that next level here in this defense. But still, you've got veteran guys in, a lot, in that locker room. You mentioned Zach Brown, LJ Fort, some new guys to the defense. Nate Gary, everyone says he knows this defense yep. you know, better than anyone in that room, and he can make those calls. So they've got players to work with. They've got some time now to figure out how to make it work best. Yeah, and you talk about Nate Garrick just knowing that scheme. We saw that a little bit today. Uh, it was in middle mid mid play almost. It was, I don't even say pre-snap, Ben. Uh, you saw Nate kind of getting both LJ Fort and Zach Brown as a base package down, uh, lined up just before the snap, put Zach Brown in position to make a player at the line of scrimmage on a jet sweep. You know, whether you have injuries or not, this organization does a great job, like I've said in previous podcasts, they prepare younger guys in the second and third stringers to play. Yep. Because injuries unfortunately are a part of the game they're inevitable we've had the injury bug here last year year before year before that it's not a bug it's just football it's going to happen and this organization does a great job in interchanging lineups giving guys off days bumping up second and third stringers to maybe work with guys you're not used to working with mm. and you see that on a player with nate gary maybe not on the same page at the linebacker to the left or to the right of them. So there's going to be some on-the-fly adjustments, some talking after the play, and just making sure everybody's on the same page. We'd much rather see that in training camp on the practice field than you know on the bench in week one against Washington Redskins. And this is the time to get the continuity down, figure out your teammates and maybe people you aren't used to working with, and work out all those bugs today in camp and in practice. This is what the summer is all about. That's what the 10-10-10 is for as well. I mean, C-Mac, uh, I thought Ben did a good job of pointing out that you uh, saw that one moment in practice. They were working on some jet sweep stuff. Actually, I think it was the same period as the play I was just talking yeah. about. Uh, it was an exchange between Orlando Skandrick and Jonathan Cyprian as they're figuring out how to pass things off pre-snap. Well, there was a lot of pre-snap calls and checks based on offensive shifts, and now offenses are playing the cat and mouse where they're shifting, the defense is checking, and then you're shifting back. So there's a lot of kind of, you know, moving around on defense, moving back. You see a lot of moving parts, and that's kind of today's NFL. There's a lot of eye candy, a lot of deception from the offenses and trying to attack the certain tendencies of defenses. Um, but the whole 10-10-10 concept, it's not really a new philosophical no, approach yeah. with practice. Mm -hmm. right. You know, we just kind of have a label on it just to make sure we know that this is a 10-10-10 practice. It's a bit of a setup for each side of the ball. And that's really just to kind of temper the media's expectations and views of what's going out on the field. Sure, no question. Well, uh, one thing, again, it was a short practice on Monday. Uh, so don't, you know, go crazy with what we're saying, but... Uh, I thought Carson looked pretty sharp today. I think from from start to finish, really that third or that first session, um, touchdowns to Dallas Goddard, Zach Ertz, and then Deshaun Jackson. Uh, throughout the course of the day, I thought he was pretty sharp. Man, those tight ends, I swear, there always seems to be a defender on their back or in a tight window. They have some of the strongest hands on the team, yep. not just in the tight end group or the receiver room. These guys are reliable targets. I mean, that's a quarterback's best friend right there. You get down in the red zone and Goddard maybe has a linebacker on his back or Ertz is working between two safeties and they pluck that ball high and strong and they'll fight through contact and man, really just clicks down in the red zone when Wentz is looking for those tight ends and they come up big for him. I thought he threw an absolute dart and you touched on this Fran in the practice notes where it was the third touchdown in that red zone period 
and Wentz is looking off his progressions and going through Starts them. Starts was right, yep. And then he comes into Sean Jackson, and he fired. I was standing in behind the goalpost there, and he just fired a laser where everyone backed up because <laughs> yeah, they figured right, the yeah. balls could come this way. But no, Deshaun Jackson goes up, snares it with his hands, gets both feet in bounds easily, and you're just like, wow. That's that's what you love the, to see. The chemistry there. of those two on that play as well, how he started front side, and it seemed like he worked to the backside just when Deshaun broke free. I think those backside routes, he has a little bit extra time to kind of dance off the line and really set up the defender in perfect concert and sync with Carson Wentz there, working on the front side back across the field, especially down in the red zone when things are much faster. And I don't, I don't want to give away everything from the practice notes piece, <laughs> but if you don't read that piece on a daily basis, like you're going to miss nuggets like this one that Ben uh, pointed out. while we Right after the Deshaun touchdown, Ben's eyes go so so I'm writing down I'm like all right you know Carson starts to his right looks left I'm writing it down in my notebook and Ben is watching something in the in the backfield behind the offense uh, tell us uh, what you saw are you referencing the uh, the backfield vertical play? No, 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 no. This is the uh, the uh, interaction between uh, oh, Jason Kelsey. So Jason and- Kelsey was off today, but very active participant in practice. Yes, typically lined up right behind the offense, hanging out with quarterbacks coach Press Taylor, and you just see Press immediately explaining and gesturing to, to Jason Kelsey kind of just showing the motions of Wentz working to his front side, going back across, and almost diagramming the route from Deshaun Jackson. The center position is an extension of the quarterback. They're both quarterbacks on the field. In some cases, that center is maybe doing a little bit more communicating and assessing than the quarterback even is, setting protection, finding your mics, setting the shells of the defense. So as long as that center is just as knowledgeable and up to speed with what the offensive concepts are, what the intent are, does Jason Kelsey need to know the route combination and what the progression is for the quarterback? No, but it's all part of the marriage together of the offense, especially the center and the quarterback position. And just really funny to see Jason Kelsey not in the play, getting kind of an instruction from the quarterback coach on what just happened there. Just kind of a fun little interaction. He had the long sleeve tee. He had the bucket hat. He had the the play sheet. I mean, he kind of, he kind of, he kind of looked like a coach. Right. <laughs> Are we going to go down the rabbit hole of who, which player is going to make the best coach afterwards? Right. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I see Kelsey as, as a coach after when it's all said and done. I, I see him going off and enjoying life away. He he has a lot of interest away from from football. Sure. Uh, his wife, I think, pointed out that they're expecting their first child. Yep. Congratulations to oh, them. Very exciting. Um, had a very cute shirt at the uh, practice last night there. Yep. Saying sixty-two did this with arrows pointing down to the <laughs> the belly, so I, I don't know if I see him as a coach, but he's someone who obviously is very cerebral and loves yes. loves the game. So and, do they and, make uh, babies outfits in in the mummers uh, that big? Yeah. <laughs> we should work on that. Somebody, yeah. somebody's somebody, got to get somewhere, around. No question. Uh, the other big throw from Carson, I thought in the day, was uh, the throw to Greg Ward. I want to say it was the second offensive period. That ball just came out hot. It came out early, hit Greg Ward in stride. Ball just felt, felt not, not often we uh, highlight incompletion. Right. But it seemed like Wentz knew he wanted to attack that window, move the curl defender initially, and just saw the window open, placed it in there just a tad behind the receiver, but the anticipation was very impressive. You always see Wentz kind of attacking those second-level throws, especially those window throws, yep. where he's really anticipating windows before his intended target is even clearing the defender. So you're just seeing him playing much faster, and that was a little foot off or foot behind the receivers. Those will get cleaned up. Uh, so real quickly, uh, before we get to Sunday's practice, uh, some guys that stood out uh, on the peripheral uh, here on Monday. One guy for me, Deshaun Hall, mm-hmm. uh, former third-round pick, 
again, played across from Miles Garrett at Texas A&M. I liked him a lot coming out of school. Uh, was a third-round pick from the Panthers and, you know, just didn't work out there. He latched on with the Eagles last fall, and he, he, cont- he was around the ball very consistently today. And again, working up against, uh, you know, the, the third and second team offensive linemen and with the, the changes up front today uh, with the starters, obviously some people get bumped up. So he's going, uh, you know, he's going against guys that you would want him to beat as a former third-round pick, but you still like him uh, getting to the quarterback and being around the football. One thing with Deshaun Hall, with the Joe Osman injury, does sure. that possibly open up a roster spot for someone else? Yeah. Joe Osman, you know, we don't know the extent of the injury. Uh, suffered it during a special teams period at Sunday's practice. Um, but it was carted off and all the players were coming by and, you know, giving him some uh, good goodwill, good messages as he went off. But uh, Osman was having a phenomenal camp. I mean, mm-hmm. you could put him up there with Kamagruje Hill, someone who was a high performer throughout training camp here. And it's disappointing to see him go down. But when you look at the depth here at defensive end, okay, we've talked all about Brandon Graham and Vinnie Curry, and then you figure Derek Barnett, he'll come back into the mix. Now it's Josh Sweat is at an outstanding camp. Then you figure you're keeping a fifth end, you know, Sharif Miller, would it be Joe Osman, maybe Deshaun Hall. You know, yep. gets into the they mix kept now. five last year. It seemed like there's two spots for those four, so it was kind of an interesting with Osman going down. Now it seems to be two out of those three. Yeah. So who's going to emerge from the pack? You know, whether it's the rookie Sharif Miller or Deshaun Hall, who maybe wasn't as predictable to be that guy. You know, coming into camp, but it's has put together some really good practices. On the other side of the line of scrimmage, you talked about uh, Matt Pryor today a lot. Yeah, I just feel like nobody really acknowledges Matt Pryor, but you see this number 69 in there quite a bit. He's the only guy cross-training at guard and tackle, and one of the only guys cross-training on the left side and the right side of the offensive line. And you see him in there with the second team, the third team, sometimes even the fourth team, was on the active roster last year as well. Um, I just feel like he's a guy. We talk about Mulata. We draft a first-round tackle. We got Peters and Kelsey and Brooks and Lane Johnson. There's a lot to be excited about. Just kind of Matt Pryor out there every day doing his job and all over the offensive line. And I think he's going to make this team and, you know, be a contributor again, but just kind of slow and steady doing his job out there. I just don't feel like he gets a lot of attention. Make no mistake, versatility is a valuable trait for a backup offensive lineman. Like, and that's no what you question. want in the sixth round when you took him, you know, 2018, the sixth round. He played some guard and tackle at TCU. I think he's even played some guard and tackle in the same game at TCU. Yep. But that's what this organization really values, especially on the offensive line. Guys that can plug and play, whether it's Isaac Sayamalu, who has experience up and down the line, or, you know, Big V, who's now has played left tackle for us, right tackle, and now he's been at right guard all summer. So having the versatility is clearly an asset uh, for any player in the offensive line room. We've heard Jeff Stoutland talk about the hand strength mm-hmm. with Pryor. They said once he gets your his hands on you, you're done. Yeah. I remember right, over. it was like 11 and three quarters inch hands, like something yeah. crazy like He's that. a big like, fellow out that's there. That's like dinner plates. He's like easily <laughs> one of the bigger pound for pound, just length and strength and just tall guys in that offensive line room. Looks a little bit awkward at guard at times mm. just because he is so tall. He looks like more of a prototypical NFL tackle, but he could still bend very well. And like you're saying, once he gets his hands on you, it's it's usually over. Uh, all right, so one final play from Monday that stood out to me. Corey Clement, uh, first defensive period. It was an inside run. Just kind of hit the hole hard. It was an inside run, and he took off, was untouched for a big chunk of yardage. 
I feel like we hadn't seen that kind of burst from him in a couple of years, really since that Super Bowl uh, win over New England. So I, I thought that was good to see. And we've seen slow signs of progression, right? You know, he was in seven on sevens, and you kind of see him. Uh, I mentioned uh, late last week him making that cut uh, along the sideline. Now we see him kind of accelerate in the open field. Uh, baby steps for, for Corey Clement, still working with the second and third unit. All right, C-Mac, uh, let's get to Sunday night's practice at Lincoln okay. Financial Field. Uh, what was your big takeaway walking away from the link? The big takeaway, all right? I'm going to go, it's probably if you're reading other reporters, it's not going to be really going out on a limb. Mm. But Miles Sanders seems like he could really be something in this offense this year. Mm. And we're seeing it in pass protection where he put a defender on the ground. He did, yeah. I noticed that live when we were watching last night. He had a nifty jump cut down by the goal line line, that resulted in a score. You know, you you see a, the juice in his legs. He's bringing a different element to that running back position. And I think there was someone on Twitter who asked, you know, why are we kind of slowing down the hype train on Josh Sweat, but, you know, we're giving the green light on Miles Sanders. And I don't think we had been really going overboard on Miles Sanders. But Nor do I think we've been, like, necessarily, like, slamming the brakes on Josh Sweat. No, just being, it, you know, being try to be realistic, yeah, yes. But I think that the thing with Miles Sanders is I think there can be a role for him to excel in the offense this season. When you look at Josh Sweat, right now you're looking at Brandon Graham, and we just went through the list, yep. Vinny Curry and Derek Barnett. You know, you're hoping he comes in and gives you some energetic reps and contributes a few sacks. That, that would be a great improvement from year one to year yep. two. Miles Sanders was selected in the second round as a running back in this offense to come in and really make a statement. And I, obviously, he's going to complement what Jordan Howard does. Don't let's not get it twisted. Jordan Howard has a very clearly defined role. He's going to be a very important player in this offense. But when you're looking at explosive runs, something that this offense did not have last season, Miles Sanders looks like he can bring that to air. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be really exciting just to watch him and his impact. Is you know we talked about this. We talked about it on the journey of the draft. I mean, you talk about uh, Miles Sanders and what he can do for you in the passing game. That's really where now you have that 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 dynamic quality to that to that offense. Yeah, and just to speak to the whole hype train kind of controversy and ebbs and flows of our conversation. <laughs> right, yeah. We're still not saying, hey, Miles Sanders looks good. That means he's the number one back, forty carries a game. Let's right, go, yep. future running back. We're still projecting the potential role. So Josh Sweat, we're projecting a fourth or fifth defensive end role. That's 15 to 25 snaps a game to contribute and, you know, maybe get after the quarterback once or twice. We're not saying, hey, he looks good. That means, oh, he's challenging Brandon Graham for that first DN spot. JJ Watt. 60 snaps a game. Let's go. No, it's still a manageable expectation. We're excited about what they're showing us on the practice field. And we're excited for the managed role that they're probably going to slide into. Miles Sanders is still going to work in a running back by committee group which I think is great for a rookie running back. He's not going to be a bell cow, which means he's going to be fresh, take advantage of the opportunities you get out there. And we're just saying we're, we're believers right now in his ability, and I think he'll take advantage of those opportunities. You, want to, you don't want to go overboard, and from that I'm going to transition now. Let's go overboard with what we saw from Deshaun Jackson on Sunday. Night. <laughs> How is it, I'm no, kidding. It was one-on-one period, and... It, it goes back to if you didn't if you haven't seen the uh, the miking of Carson Wentz during a training camp practice last week, uh, go check that out on all of our social channels uh, as well as on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app. Uh, at one point during practice, he turns to I forget who exactly he was talking to, and he says, 
let's give the fans what they want. And he's like, oh, let's throw, I want to throw uh, deep to D-Jack. <laughs> in the one-on-one session, they, they, he had a couple of really nice receptions. On the very last one, he beat Rasul Douglas on a stutter go and just blew by him, and the whole stadium just goes nuts. Yeah. Um, and But the one that really caught my eye before that, though, was a comeback route against Sydney where, you know, and I, I, we've said this before, Ben and I have talked about it a lot, his route running over the last, we'll say three years, four years, maybe that last year in Washington, I feel is like when he turned the corner, where he he ran. Ben, you weren't there for it. He he, it was on the right side. He wins outside with an outside release against Sydney and turns his eyes up. He turns his head inside as if he's about to catch a fade, uh, looking inside, and, snaps and then snaps back outside. Sydney Sydney uh, turned his eyes back to find the football. It was like six yards of separation. Picture perfect route. The fact he can win without going a hundred percent is right. what I find to be most impressive. Obviously, I haven't watched Deshaun practice in a couple years now, but to see him out there and to see the different pacings of speeds within his routes, how he can accelerate on his release, really put a cornerback on his toes or on his heels, thinking vertically, and then snap something off underneath, or slow playing a route. Like, I know that mo- that double move or the stutter go against yeah. Rasul. I can tell you right now exactly how that went. He probably <laughs> slow played it. He did Or Rasul kind of slow played it as well, and then can get the top speed in an instant. Yeah. Those type of veteran savviness that it's not just zero to 60 on every route and kind of slow playing it and messing with the pacing of your routes is really everything, and that's the Deshaun Jackson of 2019. You know, it's pretty special to watch. Uh, what makes it so exciting, too, is and we've talked about this a lot, is it's not it's not like this offense is going to be the Deshaun Jackson show. It's not, you know, it's uh, as your wife Farron would point out, it's been a lot of Deshaun, Deshaun, Deshaun <laughs> this summer. It's not going to be all about Deshaun in the fall. I mean, you've no. got the two tight ends. You've got Alshon Jeffrey. You've got Nelson Aguilar. You've got Miles Sanders and Jordan Howard. There are a lot of mouths to feed, a lot of really talented players on this offense that's going to get spread out. It's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. I think as we talk about the young guys who have developed and you know the guys who have had great training camps, when you at the end of the day, when you look at what this team is going to be in 2019, it's really those those cornerstone pieces like you mentioned. It's going to be Alshon Jeffrey. It's going to be Zach Ertz. Dallas Goddard's going to ex- have an expanded role in year two. Deshaun Jackson will definitely open things up. You know, that that's the thing at the end of the day. We, we get excited about the new guys. We get excited about the additions to the team and the guys who are competing for roster spots. And that, that's the conversation at this time of year as we go into the preseason, who's going to win those depth jobs on the roster. But when all is said and done, when you're watching the early parts of these team sessions and it's the guys 86 and 17 making plays, you're like, that's what we're going to see on Sundays yeah. in the fall. The, the, the thing that's going to be interesting is we're kind of at a transitional period now in training camp where – they're now getting ready for games, and the Stars aren't going to play a lot in those games, but yet you're not going to tax them a ton in practice. Yep. So it's important from the mental standpoint as well as the physical standpoint that the coaches do a good job of finding that balance of getting the team ready to play on Thursday because those young guys, that's that's everything for them as they battle for those jobs. But you're keeping your eye towards September 8th against Washington because you got to make sure the starters who may not have a ton of in-game reps over the next month are set to go when the season starts. You know, I still think fantasy football players are going to hate this team and going to hate this I, offense. I think you're yes. right. Yeah, because so, unless refl- you're like a Carson Wentz anyone, owner, yeah, I'll, And I'll put it in 2017 terms. One week's going to be a LeGarrette Blunt week. One week's going to be a Torrey Smith week. One week, you know, Trey Burton's right. going to have three touchdowns. 
you're never really going to understand the ebbs and flows on, you know, who's going to dominate the production. And that's what I look for. I don't really say Deshaun Jackson. I hope he has a thousand yards. No, I want to see 10 guys with 500 yards on this team yep. and really drive the fantasy football players crazy. Because <laughs> one week it's going to be big Miles Sanders week and he might go quiet for two or three weeks. It's not a diminishing to his ability. It's just how well distributed this offense is. Somebody, some people just want to watch the world burn. And exactly. That's, uh, that's yes. uh, Josh Perkins, I thought, had a couple of really nice highlight grabs uh, yeah. in Sunday night's uh, One handed uh, pirouette, uh, another one down in, the field on a fade and a one on ones. Yeah. Yeah, a nice one in the end zone. Richard Rodgers has been sidelined. Yep. We don't know the injury for a couple of days here. And, you know, we've talked about the depth at tight end overall on this roster, but certainly Perkins has contributed in this offense before. He brings a little bit of that pass catcher ability, um, another weapon, so to speak, in the offense. But, again, if you're looking at the depth here, you love to say, Ertz and God, they're going to play all 16 games and all the playoff games you don't have to worry. But – if something were to happen or you know maybe you're you're enjoying a week 17 bye because you have everything wrapped up all right you can say Josh Perkins can go in there and take meaningful snaps and be able to you know not have a significant drop off in the offense it's one thing you have Ertz and Guy who are the best one two combo at the position in the league there's going to be some drop-off, but you don't want to get to a point where you can't have 12 personnel out there on the field. You can't run your base offense. Yeah, and just quickly staying in the tight end room, you get signed to a team in August, you're swimming. You're pretty much swimming. It's yep. tough to catch up. I've been pretty impressed with Alex Ellis. Made a nice catch in the red zone today on a back shoulder down the seam. Looked him up a little bit. Wasn't too familiar with it. Was with Kansas City last year. Yep. Andy Reid, kind of familiar with the offense, the terminology. He's come out here. He's made plays every day in practice and seems to know where he's going, know where to line up. He's given good effort in the run game. Just been pretty impressed, especially with Richard Rodgers down. Gives him a couple extra reps being that back-end guy that typically doesn't get a lot of opportunities. Um, but obviously making the most of it. And he's a big, good-looking, athletic kid who's played in the SEC. So don't sleep on him for maybe ruffling the back end of the uh, tight end room. All right, so we've got uh, some questions we're going to get to here for the best way to support the show. We appreciate everybody that promotes and shares the show uh, on social media. Those of you who spread it by word of mouth, telling your friends and family to listen to the show. I hope you guys are all enjoying these daily practice recaps. The number one way to support the show, though, is to go on to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, wherever you listen to the show, and leave us a rating and leave us a comment. Hopefully it's a five-star rating. I'll take the five-star ratings, uh, but uh, no matter what you do, just go and give us a rating, leave us a comment. We have a few people that left some comments and some questions as well. Uh, Jim Murphy left a five-star rating saying how much he enjoys the show. Uh, Kravpa, another five-star rating, how much he enjoys the show. Thank you to both of you. And then uh, our friend Wilton Houston, longtime listener, uh, checks in with a couple questions. So real quickly, we're a little bit crushed for time. We don't go too long. All right. um, we talked a little bit about the defensive ends earlier. How does Sharif Miller look so far in camp? I thought the other day, I think it was on Saturday. I think so, yep. Saturday. I thought he had his best practice where he was active. He was around the ball. He mixed it up with Casey Tucker, you know, caused the first fight of training camp, so to speak. Um, so so he's had his moments, but, you know, Josh Sweat's had a very good camp. Joe Osman had, had a very good camp. Um, there's been some good things from Miller. I think he's developing. Just, just as you would expect a rookie, it's it's hard to pick things up as a rookie defensive end. So. I think with with all these guys, and that's the kind of the beauty of where the Eagles are at from a roster construction standpoint right now. 
you're not relying on Andre Dillard and J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. No. Sure, they're only rookie here that you're thinking, all right, they, they, they're going to play this year, barring injury, is Miles Sanders. And everybody else you're hoping can come in, can get inculcated into the scheme, get into the culture, and kind of learn inculcated. on the fly. I like that one. Thank it's a good you. Good one, buddy. Uh, all right, next one. Uh, another question. If Brandon Brooks is ready for week one, does Big V go back to being the swing tackle? I, don't, I really I don't think this is a week one question, and we don't know when he's going to be ready, but uh, it's just whenever whenever Brandon Brooks is ready, mm-hmm. what is Big V's role? Uh, ben, I'll go to you first. I, I think that's probably the easy answer, right? Yeah, obviously he has experience at tackle and being a swing tackle primarily you know, before uh, this training camp. So I just, I'm not really sure if right guard is the future fit of Big V or if they're just seeing how he looks in there and right. coming up with that you know plan if Brandon Brooks isn't ready. They still have Wiz, who's played left guard, center, right guard. Say Omalu, who could kind of play all over the interior. So there's some guys to work in. Matt Pryor may be more of a positional fit to be a right guard. So I think it's a little bit up in the air right now. If they don't need Big V at right guard and Brandon Brooks is ready, I think Big V will go back to his uh, previous spots of being a tackle and being that sixth offensive lineman off the bench that we're really not too shy about you know getting in the game when we need to. Adding that tool to your toolbox as an offensive lineman uh, never hurts. We talked about it earlier mm-hmm. with Matt Pryor. All right, so schedule the rest of the week. We've got another practice tomorrow. I think it'll be a little bit of a uh, heavier practice tomorrow longer, than, yeah. than this one. Uh, so we'll get back to, to practice tomorrow on Tuesday morning. Uh, so we will come back tomorrow and uh, recap that. Wednesday, no practice, but there will be a show. Uh, I'm going to catch up with Mark Bullock from The Athletic and break down our first divisional preview. We're going to pre- preview how the Eagles match up with the Washington Redskins, so uh, keep an eye out for that on Wednesday. It's kind of a little bit of a preview, a little bit of a taste uh, for the 2019 season and the Week 1 opponent. All right, that'll do it for us here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. For Chris and Ben, I'm Fran. We will catch you guys tomorrow.